Welcome to the Central Peninsula Church Podcast, a podcast all about real life together. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've just talked about how McKenna's fancy podcast that she works on gets all kinds of it's really crazy guests. It's not fancy at all. <laughs> <laughs> and here's me and Brandon again on this one. <laughs> just us. Yeah. But we have a crazy guest today. Yes, we do. She's oh in high demand. She is. She says no to most people who ask her to be on her podcast. <laughs> but today she said yes. <laughs> um, oh, my. Mm-hmm. Welcome, everybody, to the CPC Together podcast. <laughs> I like to pretend like I'm a... Like I'm a you reader. know, I think the reason you start our podcast that way every time is because that becomes the low point, and it's only up from there when <laughs> you sing some sort of intro. Okay, so first thing we got to get um, all of the the thousands are wondering. The thousands, um, I'm sure. When they see you up there, they see your last name Mitchell, uh-huh. and you know they immediately think you must be Mark Mitchell's daughter. Yep. Um, and which I thought that, by the way, I think for the first two years that I knew you <laughs> before I actually asked. <laughs> so are you? Yeah, so contrary to popular belief, and yes, I've got that question probably 400 times in the last <laughs> decade of my life. I am not Mark Mitchell's daughter, although he and I do have a joke about me being like the estranged Mitchell. Like, so um, yes. So we've joked about that a ton. And but no. I'm not. As much as I would love to claim that Mark was my dad. Not that my dad's not wonderful, too. I love my dad. But, uh, yeah, that's weird. So but not, yes. even, not even... Like, not even never like, mind. <laughs> <laughs> you got into that sentence. I and did. You I was like, like, wait a second. I going love my dad. No, okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, in a, we're, a different, we're a different Mitchell. We're a different Mitchells. Different Mitchells. Different Mitchells. So here's, my, here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about first impressions, mm-hmm. right? And how important they are. We make we make impressions in seven seconds. Yeah. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Or one-tenth of a second. One-tenth of a saying, second, yeah. I don't think of anything that fast. <laughs> <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, um, what was your first impression of Kevin when you first met him? My first... <laughs> I don't know. When did I first meet you, Kevin? I'm wondering... It was... I. Th- Oh man, my guess is the houseboat trip. Yep. When I was doing high school group, I was yeah. leading HSM here. Uh huh. So that would have been, oh man, 2015, 16? 16 or 17. 16, I think is what seven, it was. Maybe it was 2017. 17 would have been the year. Yeah. Yeah. About five years ago. Okay, yeah. 2017, you're on a houseboat. You know, you got youth pastor yeah. Kevin going. <laughs> I thought he was really cool. Kevin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Kevin was really, so cool. <laughs> I really tricked you then. <laughs> yeah, because we were stuck. We were stuck mm-hmm. driving the houseboat across Lake Shasta. Oh yeah, yeah, and at like oh, my two miles an hour or whatever. Do <laughs> you want to know something funny? I think I've been pulled over twice in my life. Once was when I was driving a houseboat, and once was when I was riding a bike. So <laughs> neither in a car. Neither have been in a car, but. Anyways, continue. That's I don't know how you get pulled over. I in have a been pulled but... over far more times, <laughs> all of them in a car. For the record, <laughs> uh, yeah. But I, I do have to say though, my first, imp- my real first impression of Kevin came before I met him because I heard a lot about him from Michelle Rompel. 
oh. and about how fantastic of a person he was uh. and how fantastic Lindsay is. So that yeah. probably was truly like, you know, how you, you kind of get set up for like what your first impression is. And that was my I knew going in that he was a cool guy. So, well, yeah. Michelle has long been my my hype person, so I just pay her for that. So it's, it's <laughs> paying off it. in spades. Yeah, yes, yeah it's paying off. <laughs> you talked a lot about our expectations, um, our impressions, and expectations of Jesus, and it got me thinking about sort of you know this pop culture Jesus. I originally, when I put this on our little outline that we have, I originally had West Coast Jesus, but it's far broader than the West Coast Jesus or even the Western Jesus. There's like sort of this. Like, he's pretty popular. We mm-hmm. talked about before, like, he's more popular maybe than he's ever been yeah. in this moment. Um, whether it's actually the real Jesus mm-hmm. that's popular or, like, sort of the characterization that we have made of him. What do you guys, what do you guys see as you look at either the church or especially, like, out where people don't go to church and they kind of have this different popularized version of Jesus? What do you guys think that people view Jesus as right now? Yep. Um, well, uh, there's a couple things that first pop into my mind. I think like we have culturally a truncated understanding of love. And I think that a lot of times Jesus gets that truncated understanding, which is like, I would say an incomplete vision of what love actually is gets placed on him. And so when we think about Jesus, we think about like acceptance or about, uh, like people being who they want to be and, you know, and love, but not love in like the full robust biblical way that we talk or that we see in scripture, love in like the the cultural way. I think that's one thing that I think pop culture has done. I also think that a lot of our understanding of Jesus, or at least um, we think a lot about like what, and this is in the Christian world and the non-Christian world. We think about like, Jesus being the means to like an easier life. I also think that's part of it too. Like we don't talk a lot about, or it's not that we, I'm saying this very generally, but like, um, like obedience and submission are not really, you know, they're not really buzzwords right now unless they're negative buzzwords. And I think, um, we kind of attribute, we take that part of like what discipleship means out of whatever, whoever Jesus is to us. That idea of the, it being built off of um, a sort of truncated love. I think, you know, what was coming to mind as you were saying that is the idea that we, we tend to craft Jesus in our own particular image. Yes. And so, yes, <clears throat> Jesus is more popular than he's ever been. Um, but, but it is a, a, you know, an, an insufficient Jesus in mm-hmm. some ways. It's not the full robust you know, view mm-hmm. of Jesus. And, and I think we can even see that in the way that, um, in, in kind of our polarized culture, the way that each will prop up Jesus. I see this on Twitter all the time where whatever particular issue is being debated or talked about or whatnot, and debate's a strong word for Twitter. That's not what's happening there. But uh, as they're yelling at each other across 180 characters. It's not debate, it's declaration. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> is they, they can, like both sides evoke Jesus. And you'll see them both evoke Jesus as if the other person is missing the real Jesus. Mm-hmm. And and what's happening there is, again, we are reflecting Jesus in our own image. Um, and so we pick up, as you were saying, kind of not an obedience and a submission to the fullness of Jesus, mm-hmm. but we kind of put Jesus nicely into the categories that match our particular you know, longings, our particular loves, um, our various issues that we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. 
um, rather than kind of allowing submission to Jesus reflect and shape how we engage in those particular areas. Um, and so it is, it is a truncated and it's built mm-hmm. off, I think a larger issue, what, um, you know, some, some ethicists would call like emotivism where it's like what we feel is what we must do. Mm-hmm. And so we, we live our ethics from that space. And so then we take up Jesus as a sort of like Trump card to be like, throw that down. And now I have Jesus on my side as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, it's a, it's a strange, like I find often talking with, um, secular individuals or whatnot in our, in our community, so much of it's taking off the baggage they've placed on Jesus or that they've seen placed on Jesus mm-hmm. and saying, that's, that's not who the Jesus of the scriptures are. And so trying to constantly just kind of pull that stuff back to, to allow Jesus to be Jesus in some mm-hmm. way. But. Yeah. And I think your comments about like, you're not hearing like obedience and submission, mm-hmm. like the, the hard things that Jesus calls us to are not really popularized. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes down to not just who is Jesus, but also who is Jesus to you, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like I mean, the whole gospel and can be summed up with Jesus as King, right? And like what everything that everything that that implies. Um, And I think we kind of have a you know that popular shirt that was popular a long time ago, the Jesus my homeboy. Sure. Where we have this like kind of like, oh, I'm chummy with Jesus kind of mentality where it's like he's going to help me point me in the right direction to where I want to go. Whereas actually, no, he's much more than that. And he's actually your king that like you you get to submit to in his goodness. And you talked about that a little bit at the front of your sermon where you, you, know, you just noted that like we as Americans don't love the idea of kingship. Nope. And, and this Sunday we're talking about more about the kingdom of God as Jesus declares the kingdom of God as his kind of central mission. And so we have a hard time with that very idea of mm-hmm. saying Jesus is king. And in a, in a model, like in, in a society in which a king rules, it isn't like it's debated, nor do we get a vote in what the king does. Yeah. It's just the king does what the king is going to do. And the same is true of the kingdom of God. Now, mm-hmm. the difference, obviously, between kind of earthly kings um, or or like a British monarchy, as you reference, like the <laughs> crown. That's what I was thinking of, by the way, when you said like, we love the crown. Yeah, we do. Um, but, I do, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so good. But it, it, it's that Jesus is a good king. Yeah. And and we see that. And, and as, a, as a good king, that should hopefully reshape our understanding of kingdom and mm-hmm. a king. Mm-hmm. Um, that he isn't some sort of dictator or something that's trying to... Uh, you know, lead some sort of tyranny over us, but rather a good king, and that makes that that makes all the world in the different or all mm-hmm. the difference in the world uh, yeah. if he is in fact good. Yeah, and it's opt in, right? Like, yeah. it's not coercive. It's not mm. well. You you have to obey me, right? Everything is we're we're always opting in to obeying and submitting to him, which I think makes him a very different kind of king than the one that the world says, like. or I should say America kind of the idea that America kind of rejects. Hmm. Do you think that, do you guys see as pastors like that? Let's use the term like customizable Jesus, like Jesus my way. Hmm. Like, do you guys feel like that has made its way into like our church cultures too? Like, do you see any ways that that has made it in there? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. One of the, one of the ways that I keep thinking of, um, is like the whole prosperity uh-huh. gospel. Hmm. You know, like if you follow, like, I don't know how you could read the Bible and follow Jesus and read into that, that God's going to make you rich. 
Mm. Like if you follow him. Yeah. <laughs> like it yeah. just feels like, but it's very convenient mm-hmm. if you're an American who like one of your top values is mm-hmm. being rich. Yeah. Well, it's, it's built on like, you know, so Jesus, John 10, 10, come to bring life and life to the fullest. Like we read that. And if we don't do the work of realizing like, what does life to the full mean? Mm-hmm. Like if that means the American dream, then of course that's what Jesus has come to do. But, but we have to understand in the kingdom of God, which is a sort of upside down reality or the way I like to say that better is taken from Willard. So he would say that, that Jesus actually turns the world right side up, that it is in fact now upside down and he turns it right side up is that our understanding of good is much different. Mm-hmm. And so when Jesus says the first will be last, the last will be first, that's not some sort of like, this is how you have to obey in order to follow me. He's saying that's actually the better way the world works mm-hmm. is if in fact you don't be first, you don't, you know, you know, kind of fight to get to the top of whatever particular ladder mm-hmm. It's that you actually begin kind of at the bottom. And, and that's why I think, you know, McKenna, I thought you brought out so well in that first section of your sermon, when you talked about reimagining royalty, mm-hmm. um, was, was so profound. Cause that's what we see, um, when Jesus comes on the scene is he slides in the, the kind of the side door, right? Like it isn't just that Royal, the Royal announcement is his submission to John's baptism, yeah. which is like, fascinating um even john is taken aback by it yeah 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 which is stunning right like mm-hmm. yeah and you see that kind of over and over like even uh was it peter who's like you know you can't wash my feet yeah like later yeah. on yeah. Like, there's no way um but yet there's something about that um i, I forget the way you said it. i think you said it was a servant king or ruler king ruler king um yeah, yeah that's mm-hmm. built on this idea of like servanthood which mm-hmm. i thought was beautiful but i'd love for you to just maybe even revisit that when you, you you drew that contrast between Mother Teresa and Princess Diana, yeah, um, and I thought that was really good. I'd love for you to just kind of mention that again, or what were you, what you were getting at in that reimagining royalty. Yeah, well, I I I can't remember where I like where I first heard that Princess Diana and Mother Teresa had died at almost exactly the same time, and I looked it up last week, and they they died a week apart from each other, and so these two women that were very noted in their respective fields and globally had a profound impact on the way that people thought and the way that people, you know, behaved. Um, And they were truly women that were loved. Um, Both, they kind of are, they were loved in different ways. And I feel like, you know, for Princess Diana, I know there's been a ton of stuff in the past few years basically revealing what Princess Diana's life was actually like and like how much more traumatic things were. But Apart from that is people long to have the kind of influence that Princess Diana had Hmm. and long to have the kind of, you know, I guess worldly things that Princess Diana has because she had power, she had influence, she was, you know, and and she espoused really good things, right? The reason that people loved her is because she was the people's princess and, you know, she did really wonderful things for the UK and she cared a lot about people. Um, But at the same time, no one actually can be her, right? Mm. No one no one can have that kind of authority because only there was one spot and it was taken by her, right? Whereas Mother Teresa, like, made profound impact in the lowest of the low communities, did, like, basically shirked all kinds of power and authority, basically just, like, brushed it off, was constantly, like, giving away her privilege to other people. And it just it's a really interesting contrast between the two of them where, you know, anyone can actually choose to live the type of life that mother Teresa lived 
And there are not very many Mother Teresas in the world. And, I mean, there's still one Mother Teresa, right? There's still one Princess Diana. And, mm. yeah, anyways, I just, I find it really interesting that that kind of shows what we value. Because if people were, you know, clamoring to be like Mother Teresa more, instead of clamoring to be like Princess Diana, what would what would our world actually look like? And it's, you know, it, it's that, even going back to our conversation just before on like pop culture Jesus, mm-hmm. is that forces, that what Jesus does, he forces us to reimagine power. Yeah. Right? And, and the influence in the way in which Jesus operated in the world, and I think, again, it's a great example of Mother Teresa versus Diana, is, you know, Mother Teresa understood power through service, through yeah. kind of, yeah. again, the, some of the phrase I've used before is like power under. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see that obviously with Jesus, right? At the peak of his ministry, he's on a cross dying. He's <laughs> he's literally laying yeah. all power down, mm-hmm. and yet that's the moment in which the broadest influence took place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so we tend to want to recreate Jesus to support our power, not under but power over. Yes, and our coercive power. Mm-hmm. And Jesus over and over is going to demonstrate that's not how the kingdom of God operates. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he'd say it's, it's like a mustard seed. It's small mm-hmm. and it takes root there and it begins to grow and expand, but it's all this sort of side door under power under. And, and we want to, um, create, we, we want to enlist Jesus in our own coercive power pursuits. Mm-hmm. And yet over and over, he'll dispel that. And that's not the way in which the kingdom of God works because it's an altogether alternative kingdom. It's a different yeah. type of operating in the world. And yet, here we are, right? Across the world, globally, still celebrating Jesus. There mm-hmm. might have been something to his understanding of royalty and power yep. um, as, you, as you posed it. I think the, as, as you laid out a few questions, um, what, what lives inspire you or what qualities do we desire to have? I feel like there's this thing that happens in us as humans where we have what we what we maybe aspire to value Hmm. Hmm. things that we want to want. Yeah. You know, and then there's the things that we actually want. And I don't know that we spend a lot enough time thinking about how to move our aspirations to real desire. Hmm. Because when we look at like this question versus mother Teresa, you know, in princess Diana, it really asks you like, what do you actually value? And those questions that you ask, like what lives inspire you that brings it down to like, okay, is does the mother Teresa life inspire me as a Jesus follower or am I just kind of like, wow, I could never do that. Yeah. You know, is it that Mm -hmm. kind of thing or like, it sort of tells me Mm -hmm. a little bit more about where my heart is. Um, so anyone who's listening, take a brief brief pause and and consider that what kinds of lives are you looking up to? Mm -hmm. Like who, who are the, who are the people that you are and don't just the cop on answer Jesus, you know, but like, who is it that, that really, man, like if I, if I could live that way, mm-hmm. I'd be a little closer or what are the qualities? Like how, how, how do you, how often do you think about that, Kevin? Like yeah. what qualities do you really want to yeah. have? And yeah. what are the steps mm-hmm. to get there? Yeah. Like yeah. I want to be a measured patient person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do I get there? Yeah. No, I love and that's something I've thought about more recently. I mean, I wish I could say that that's always been the question I've asked myself. (laughs) It certainly isn't. (laughs) But but there is something to that, like who we want to aspire to be. Like one of the things that I've started asking my daughters more is is not what do you want to do when you grow up, which is a good question. I ask them that at times. 
but but I asked the question like, who do you want to become? Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of person do you want to be? Mm-hmm. And it's getting that idea of like who we value. Mm-hmm. Um, we we will begin to emulate, and and I think that's a yeah. brilliant question. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons that it's important to study like church history to understand the lives of like Mother Teresa. And I know, you know, in, in Protestant circles, in a church like ours, um, we can get leery around that language around like saints. Yeah. Um, but there's something to this like legacy and history of the saints mm-hmm. that at least are those who have gone before us and have walked that kind of faithful path of Jesus. And I just worry that particularly in evangelical circles, we can tend to get more enamored with celebrities mm-hmm. than we do saints. And, yes. and that's a problem. Um, mm-hmm. And not that all celebrities are bad or wrong or anything like that. Well, even Christian celebrities. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. how we value that and emulate mm-hmm. kind of, um, it's, it's a desire, it's built on a desire for influence. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so we see like, if they're the Instagram influencer, they must be doing great work for the gospel. And they may be. Yeah. I like, guess not saying they aren't. Uh, but but again, that's not necessarily how we saw Jesus operate and utilize mm-hmm. his status or whatnot. Yeah. That Christian celebrity thing, by the way, is absolutely invading the worship movement. Hmm. I mean, it is never, you've never had worship celebrities like you have now. It's never been, the stage has never been more intoxicating hmm. as a worship person, which is kind of yeah. gross to think about, but yeah. like as a worship person to get on that stage for notoriety and fame in the name of I'm just leading people to worship Jesus. Yeah. But how do I'll say, how do we resist that? Like, but can I'd love your thoughts on even like, yeah, how do we resist that pull mm-hmm. um, towards, you know, celebrity or fame or influence or, or whatever, you know, it, ha- it is. Well, I think it starts by being honest with yourself. Um, mm. And I think, I mean, speaking, you know, we're in Silicon Valley, right? Yeah. We're, the bubble of the people that are we are told are inspiring look a very specific type of way, right? Mm. And, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of good to some of the things that these people are doing, but then there's also, like, why they're given permission and abil- the ability to do that. Like, for example, Elon Musk, right? I mean, and I know that he's been in the news a lot for buying Twitter and, you know, the whole deal, right? But, like... I've heard so many people say, like, if I had those billions of dollars, this is what I would do with them, like, instead of buying Twitter. Hmm. And in my head, I'm like, cool. Also, why aren't you just doing that now? Like, (laughs) why do you need the billions of dollars in order to give yourself permission to actually do the thing that you're passionate about or you feel like God's placed on your heart to change? And I think, um, like, in some ways, like, that shows that what we value actually gives us permission to do things for the kingdom of God too. And yeah. So, I mean, so I guess being Mm. honest, right? Like I also think that a lot of, and I, I check this in myself too, because, you know, my husband works in startups and we talk a lot in terms of like startup talk. And Mm. I didn't know that I would ever be in this (laughs) world, but I know a heck of a lot more about startups than I did four years ago. Let me tell you. But, um, but like, you know, even the ethics in trying to figure out, like, how do you start a company well? Or how do you decide, like, I'm not going to do this even though it's beneficial for, you know, for growth or for, you know, this because I value something more. And even if kind of what you were speaking to, Brandon, about, like, I want to want the right things, like, you have to put those want to wants into action in order for it to become part of who you are, right? And 
And I think like it's almost it's almost I, I don't mean this in the way that it's going to sound, I think, but it's almost testing. It's almost testing God in like saying like, OK, Lord, like you say these things to be true. I don't know if I actually want these things yet, but I'm going to test you or not you, but test test this theory or this idea out and see what happens. Mm. Um, yeah, again, I don't know if I'm making any sense here, but like, no, you're making a lot of sense. It's so good. And there, there's a, there's a virtue. Like I love that honesty of like forcing ourselves to look inward and say, okay, where, where, you know, I have been given a, a level of privilege mm-hmm. and authority by the Lord. And so how am I stewarding even in yeah. that? But then there's also, I, I would just add this virtue of patience mm-hmm. and, and it, we're, we're just, we, we grind against that, particularly mm-hmm. in the Silicon Valley. But but when we realize the idea of eternity and that the kingdom of God is present now mm-hmm. and will one day be fully realized, we don't have to at any point compromise to the ways of the world to bring about the kingdom of God. Yeah. Like we can be patient in that. If Jesus can go to the cross mm-hmm. as the way in which is the culmination of the kingdom of God, there is no reason we have to compromise on the way of Jesus to do Jesus' work mm-hmm. because we firmly believe, in fact, that that the kingdom of God is here and will one day be realized. So we can be patient. Mm-hmm. We can have ebbs and flows. We don't have to grasp at power, grasp at influence mm-hmm. as some sort of way of seizing the moment and mm-hmm. compromise the the kind of person that God is creating us to be. Like We don't compromise Christ-likeness to bring about Christ. Yeah, We just don't have to. Um, and we have to be patient in that. I had a kind of a weird moment yesterday that kind of... Uh, I don't know if it speaks directly to this, but kind of where I was on a zoom call with a principal of a school. Um, and a mom came into the school office crying because she didn't have formula to feed her baby or two month old baby. And right now, whenever you're listening to this right now, there's a big formula crisis. And immediately I was like, Oh my gosh, we have to, I have to like, I have to do this. I have to fix this. And so I talked to the principal. We ended up having formula delivered so that this woman could have formula. It was, it was, it was good ultimately, I think we'll see. (laughs) But, but it was a really interesting moment for me because I'm pregnant. And I also was thinking like, I wish I had formula here that I could just drive up there. But then I also started thinking like, well, I aspire to be a generous person. I like, I, I value generosity. And also if I, there was a formula shortage and I was also afraid of not being able to feed my baby. Would I be willing to give up formula so that Mm. another woman could feed her knowing that God would provide for me and for my child when the time was necessary? And like, it was an interesting question. I talked about it with my husband. I talked about it with my mom last night. She's Mm. like, there's something instinctual that happens in moms where they're like, I have to protect I have to protect my own. Mm. And I think in a lot of ways, like kingdom values kind of flipped even instincts on their head a little mm. bit where it's like, mm. you know, that like uh, that, like I need to protect what's mine. Yeah. Like Jesus didn't do that. Right. Yeah. And there was this like deep sense of trust that he would be provided for even in the middle of pain. And anyways, th- that was my the- mm. that was my my. I thought way too much about that yesterday. Yeah. I was like, would I actually be generous in that situation? And I I hope I would be, but I don't, you know, like yeah. that's a quality I desire to have. But yeah. I guess like it would have to be put into practice for me to make it part of who I am. So uh, moving on to your next point, you talk about reimagining relationship. 
and um, this idea that God speaks who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we talked about this is kind of like the Lion King moment where God <laughs> comes down. And, <laughs> Simba, I am your father. <laughs> Wait, that's, that's, that's Star Wars, huh? <laughs> yeah. I kind of, I kind of mixed like, some like Lion King, Star Wars <laughs> mashup. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's all in the same ballpark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that God would come down and like declare and mm-hmm. remind Jesus like who He is, yeah, and how He feels about Him. And man, you kind of stopped me in my tracks with that question. Like, has anyone ever looked at you that way? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. How did that? How did that impact you when you were when you were kind of going through that? Yeah. I mean, I feel like, I mean, there have been a number of times where I've been in situations or conversations with people and quite honestly, the Holy Spirit has really overwhelmed me with like a sliver of like how he felt about the person I was in conversation with Mm. where like I'm sitting, I was sitting at a coffee bar with a friend in college and he'd actually, he'd just come out to me and, and I like had this all of a sudden it was like I started crying and it was I, I was like I just need you to know like the Holy Spirit I, I don't know why where this came from but like I just need you to know that like the Holy Spirit wants you to know he is pleased with you and but it was it's like the most remarkable feeling ever it's just to look on someone and just be like totally and completely overwhelmed not with what they've done not with who they think they are but with like who god sees them as Mm. and you know it's i think like to that extent it's happened probably three or four other times since then but i also think like being there are times when you know like like my dad's looked at me and it's just he's it's just like i just know you could you just know like oh he loves me you know, and it's not because I'm doing something or I'm like pleasing or, you know, performing. It's just because like he's just contented, you know. And um, yeah, and I think that if that those small moments actually reveal like, you know, in some sense, they're like heaven tearing kind of moments where mm-hmm. they reveal like who God actually says we are, then like everything changes, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think the way that we live looks radically or it sh- it can if we decide to live into it like look radically different um yeah that's yeah yeah you know one of the things i, I performed a wedding on tuesday you're mm-hmm. officiating a wedding today uh-huh and one of the things i one of the quotes i almost almost always use when i perform a wedding is from tim keller's book the meaning of marriage mm. Uh, which maybe I'll steal it and put it in uh, today. (laughs) It's good. It's good. But he talks about how, you know, what, what we deep, what we most long for Mm -hmm. is to be fully known and truly loved. Mm -hmm. And he says, that's a lot like being loved by God. Mm -hmm. And he says like in that, and and obviously he's writing about how that's what marriage should aspire to. Mm -hmm. Right. It's, it's the image of, it's a physical picture of that spiritual reality is that when two people come together in marriage, it's they are being fully known. Like at mm-hmm. that point, you are fully exposed, fully known for who you are. And yet if you re- receive being fully known or what what is reciprocated back to you is to be truly loved, mm-hmm. 
He says that that's that's a he calls it a consummate experience. Like it is what you most long for. And we probably only see that perfected in Jesus and in God's love for us. Hmm. Um, but I just could, I, that was what, what came to mind as you were talking about the way that Jesus in that moment when he's going, you know, coming out of the water and heaven tears and God's speaking, you're my son who I'm beloved, you know, who I beloved is that moment where it, you're watching that fully known, truly loved experience mm. take place. Um, and we do long for that. And yeah. I think it is so rare when we come across those and brush mm-hmm. up against those kinds of relationships. Um, hopefully marriage is one of those. I mean, mm-hmm. but even in marriage, it's, it's hard to aspire to. Yeah. Um, but you can get that in a friendship. You can get that, mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously with, with a, a healthy relationship between a parent and a, and a child. Um, but that's, that is what we long for, that sort of reimagined relationship. Yeah. So you're asking us to reimagine what love and relationships looks like. Like what, where, where is our, where do you see some of the main places where our imagination is limited right now? Like where are we sort of, what blocks are we putting Mm -hmm. on relationship or our relationship with God or, or maybe things that we believe that are false? That's a really good question. I didn't prepare her for that question. (laughs) No, but I, I think, um, I think that in our culture, and I've, again, like I'm speaking to a culture that I feel very much a part of. So it's not like I feel like, oh, I'm separated from this. I know that this is an issue in me as well, where we love people to a certain point where it costs us something, and then we don't go any farther. Mm. I think that's part of it. I think also, like a lot of my relationships, um, I am naturally on the defense. And I think, um, like deciding I'm not going to be on the defense and I'm going to try to like create a culture of honor in this relationship where I'm just going to like honor the person regardless Mm. of what they decide to do back. And that's, you know, like people will say like, oh yeah, well, what about codependency and abuse and all that stuff? Like, yes. But also I don't think that, um. I don't think we actually honor people well enough for that to be a problem mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. You're not against boundaries. I'm not against yeah. boundaries. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm against, I, I do think though that like, uh, we have kind of a tit for tat kind of yeah. idea of relationships and like, Oh, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. When in fact, like Jesus is actually a mat, <laughs> like giving us permission to just love people, you know? And, mm. and, and and also reminding us that like he will provide for our needs as we are emptying ourselves out for others mm-hmm. and i think like for me remembering to trust that like god will fill up what i give away is a is a tough that's tough mm-hmm. that's tough yeah, yeah. i think you, I, I, there's something really profound about that idea of honor that you mentioned because i think where you know America really began in in terms more of like a meritocracy, right? Like you put in eight hours work, you get eight hours pay, yeah. and that's kind of how society's functioned. But with kind of the rise of social media, is I think we're actually moving towards an honor shame society mm. at some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you like some of that. Well, well, yeah, it's it's complicated, but but there's that sense in which. Now everyone has a voice, and so the way in which we get back at someone that tit for tat that you talked about is blasting them on Twitter, blasting them yep. on Facebook, um, you know, taking them down in the comments or whatever, right? 
And and as you were saying that, like there, I think there is like that. That's a profound idea to say. How do we honor the image of God in all people? And that feels like a way to engage culture and engage people who are different than us Mm -hmm. in a way that's just starkly contrast Mm. to the world Mm. to say there is a dignity and an honor Mm -hmm. um, to every individual that is not bestowed by what they accomplish or by who they even Mm -hmm. like who they are, but that's inscribed by the very nature of God. Mm -hmm. And what would that look like for the church to engage Mm. in what you post and how you talk to somebody and how you interact with others that just says, I want to honor the very dignity that God has ascribed in you. Like that's, that's pretty, I mean, that's, that might be the way in which we witness in a world that's gone a bit mad um, and a bit chaotic, you know? Yeah. And part of that too, I think the reason that it's so hard is kind of, you know, social media, uh, it is counter to the loudness of social media. Yeah, yeah. Like honoring the dignity in people is much more personal and it's mm. much quieter. And so it doesn't look powerful. Yeah. It doesn't look yeah. like it's making change or splashes or, you know, causing giant movements. It looks it looks like one-on-one relationships and it mm. looks like looks like discipleship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> looks a whole lot like the cross, it doesn't does. it? It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I remember this class I took where he made us he he took like I think it was it might have been as long as 10 minutes but maybe started with five and we had to pick we don't know each other in this class you had to pick someone you partner up you don't know why you're partnering up and you have to look into each other's eyes for at least i think it was five minutes it might even been longer no words nothing you just have to kind of like study yeah what oh my gosh god did yeah yeah (laughs) like sweating yeah Yeah, that's how me and brandon actually start every podcast we just (laughs) that was your first impression actually (laughs) but after like the first three minutes like it's weird like you start seeing things Mm. differently i mean it still is awkward but yeah um it made me think just valuing what god has created you know Um, but, uh, okay. Lastly, um, McKenna, and thanks for, for sticking with us on this. Um, you talk about reimagining resistance, mm-hmm. um, and that we do have a real enemy, the Satan, and, um, he's a liar and he's come to steal, rob and destroy. And I like how you kind of talked about how, you know, you you don't really, I totally resonate with this, the whole idea, you know, Satan's under every rock and, hmm. you know, using that as a way to blame, you yeah. know, almost like bad decisions that you made. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. you know, dang it, Satan's like, well, hold on a second. Mm-hmm. You're the one who went to hometown, bu- hometown buffet, you know, and, yeah. and ate all that. It's not Satan's problem, you know. <laughs> um, you guys know hometown buffet? No? <laughs> I do. I just don't know how you got there in that it's conversation. Just, <laughs> it feels like evil. I it, think it, you know it it's it's evil that we want to blame on somebody else. But you know, really, I'm more of a Sizzler fan when it comes to the face. You know, what I mean the cheesy toast. You remember that? So good. I just There's for some reason all I, what there is a Sizzler in Redwood City. Are you it's kidding? Open? I Where? don't know. But Oliver, a few days ago, we were driving past like, hey, we've never been to Sizzler. We should go. And I was like, why? Never been to Wait, you <laughs> you've never been to Sizzler? I've never been to Sizzler. Oh, no. that no. was like. Mom and dad, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say. But that was like the height of our dining experience <laughs> as a kid was hitting the Sizzler. I oh. I thought it was a fancy restaurant. And I got married <laughs> and my wife just would make fun of me endlessly. <laughs> for everyone but they had all Sizzler. you could eat soft serve ice cream. 
and all you could eat, man. And you can go know, back as many times as you want. That, that was it. So do you know what sticks in my brain? The food that sticks in my brain? <laughs> the cheesy toast. No. Come on. No, no. The chocolate pudding. Oh my gosh, you guys! It's like, are you is are you talking about Sizzler or Fresh Choice? Because oh, I feel Fresh like Choice! Oh, man. Everything you're explaining are the reasons that I loved Fresh Choice when yeah. I was growing up. So I'm telling you, Fresh maybe... Choice was like lunchtime. Yes. Sizzler's the dinner yeah, version yeah. of Fresh. It's Choice. It's more okay, hearty. It. Yeah, you're gonna get like a ribeye steak, you know, yeah, from, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> from the buffet. Um, how do we get there? Okay, uh, that was the exact Satan. question I asked you. I don't know how you got the hometown buffet. <laughs> I was, it, I was thinking of evil in my head. Like, what have I done? That's just a really bad decision. Hometown buffet. Buffet. Uh, that clears it up. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so we have a real enemy. But this idea that um, that Jesus was, you know, you kind of talked. Jesus was in a battle. He went mm-hmm. into the wilderness, and. You know, um, he had this, he kind of battled it out. Mm -hmm. And what we think of, um, you know, when we think of battling is not really the way that Jesus battles. Yeah. Um, And you said that resistance is actually submission and not just any submission, Mm -hmm. but submission to the right authority. I first just absolutely love, love the scene in scripture where Jesus is facing temptation in the desert. It's like one of my favorite has changed so much for me over the years. And I feel like every single time I revisit it, God's like, Hey, like you got to learn this. So, but I think that like the remarkable thing about Jesus is that he had all of the power. He had the power of God as Jesus. And yet his resistance to Satan's temptations was actually submission to God's greater purposes Mm. and like and each one of them each one of the temptations the three that we see in scripture was like was a direct like attack on something that Satan uses like basically tries Mm. to manipulate into something that something really good that God's created and he manipulates it just a little bit to like make us think that oh maybe this is actually better Mm. and and I feel like that is like when we're tempted, I mean, I, again, speaking from my own personal experience, so much of my temptation or the way that I have felt temptation in my life has been not this overt, like, you know, like go rob a store and kill people, right? It's like, it's so much more nuanced and like quiet than that, where Satan just like takes something good and like just tweaks it like a degree. And it's like, wait a second, like, that's a degree off. And I need to decide, even though that looks better to me and looks easier or looks like the best way, it's actually not God's way. So I'm going to choose God's way instead. And, and I think that's really hard, but it's submitting to what you sometimes can't understand too. Hmm. Um, yeah, which, yeah, it's, yep, that's. Yeah. Do you have anything, Kevin? <laughs> I'm, I'm running well, Kevin, out of I think, words. <laughs> I think this goes a little bit back, Kevin, to your reimagining power. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because you know, I remember I remember reading those stories when I was a little kid. I want I wanted Jesus to like, I wanted Jesus to do something really bad to Satan. You know, I wanted yeah. him to, I wanted him to fight. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, what power looks like in that situation, like yeah. you said, it. it 
it doesn't look yeah. like what we have been. Well, it again comes back to that connection of kind of means and ends, right? And so like the way in which we, to to fight the devil with the devil's tools mm-hmm. would not actually overcome the devil. Yeah. Right? But yet Jesus, the way in which he conquers evil is by entering fully into it. And then as like some of the church fathers used to talk about what happens in Jesus' death as entering into death and then literally because he's then within, think like spatially, because he's within death, by being life and resurrecting within that, it extinguishes death. Mm-hmm. Similar to like crawling into a dark room, but then flipping the light on extinguishes the darkness. Mm. And so it, it, it's a way in which um, it overcomes. Like this is, this is Jesus' teaching when he talks about turning the other cheek. He's saying the way in which you expose the, the idiocy of like an evil like that that someone's like slapping you isn't by slapping back harder. He says, but actually when you turn the other cheek, you're exposing the Mm. fallacy that it is. You're stepping out of that cycle of violence, that cycle of pain and saying, and exposing it for what it is, is a parody. And so Jesus says, when you turn the other cheek, you're actually bringing in some ways like a shame on the other Mm. because you're not willing to sink to fight on their level. You're saying, I will not allow that to, to be the means in which I re kind of return to you that yeah. and then in doing that in that loving act you I mean this is what Martin Luther King understood right like this is how you, you cannot fight hate with hate and so you have to overcome that with obviously where he was deeply committed to nonviolence was to say that's how you overcome violence mm-hmm. is by nonviolence mm-hmm. um, because it's not about kind of being being the stronger person mm-hmm. um, it's actually about just saying no I'll reciprocate with love and somehow that extinguishes it and I think that's what that's what's modeled in the resurrection is instead of overcoming death with more death, Jesus overcomes it with life, hmm. uh, right? And that's the act we couldn't do. That's the, the grand act of it, but we will one day be resurrected. And so we don't have to succumb mm-hmm. to means less than the way of Jesus. Well, I think, I think we could leave people with, with some of the questions that you asked. Like if you think about through, through the lens of everything that we just talked about, um, listener, wherever you are, if you think about um, these questions and how they pertain to you, um, what is it that you really value? And how do you get to the bottom? Uh, we talked about aspirational values versus um, what you really value. In other words, you know, how do you get from what you want to want to actually wanting it? Um, that's kind of confusing, but think about that. And then um, how or who do you love? Because mm-hmm. Jesus asks us to approach people different. Um, who loves you? In other words, uh, what is your understanding of how God feels for you? Mm, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we've been talking about that. It changes who you think God is and how you feel like he feels about you changes the way that you love. Yeah. Um, we love because he first loved us. So how can you dig in deeper to that? How God really loves you. Um, take stock of, of where that is in your brain. And then lastly, um, we all submit, as McKenna brilliantly said, we all submit to somebody or something maybe. Um, and it's not always the right authority. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you're submitting to and who do you need to submit to? That's good. Thank you, McKenna. Oh my gosh. Thank, Thank you, you for guys. preaching. That was so Thanks fun. for amazing. For not so just fun. this, but for coming and, and oh, preaching that. I yeah. fantastic. Loved it. Fantastic. I loved and I think it. once this is released, we could have a celebration party at the Sizzler. <laughs> Great. 
Perfect. <laughs> Oliver will be very excited. Soft serve ice cream for everybody. Because <laughs> I think Fresh Choice is no longer with us. No, right? it's not. I've, I've, whew, I've not seen I, a Fresh Choice in a long they time. They used to have one in San Mateo right off 92. That was my, that was our, that was our lunch. That was your, <laughs> that was your, our lunch your fresh choice. Yes. That's the after church, lunch. right? Yeah, uh-huh. that is the yeah. after church meal. Exactly. All right, everybody. Well, we'll see you next week. Thanks for not tuning in, but thanks for finding us on whatever your preferred podcast app is. We're out.